Well, good morning, church family. If you have a Bible, would you please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Starting this week, we're going to work our way verse by verse through this small little book that we call 1 Thessalonians. There's a lot of connections between what we're going through now, both corporately and personally, and this Thessalonian church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You know, there's a lot of noise coming at us these days. I read recently that every minute an additional 500 hours of content is loaded on YouTube. Every day there are 500 million new tweets. That's 6,000 tweets per second. There are 100 million per day posts on Instagram and every 20 minutes another million links are shared on Facebook. Lest we get too judgmental about all the noise coming at us, a lot of that noise is also coming from us. But we're going to see in the scripture today, there's one thing that should cut through the noise. There's one thing that should be louder than any other voice, any other information, any other thing in our lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Now, anytime as we're reading the scripture, we see a letter that's written by an author and the recipients are listed. It gives us an opportunity uh, to learn a little bit of their history, their relationship together. And we can read about these three missionaries' relationship with the Thessalonian church, Paul, Silas, and Timothy in Acts chapter 17. If you turn there and follow along, uh, we, won't, we won't read it for time's sake this morning, but Paul and Silas and Timothy have recently been in Philippi. They were persecuted there. They were thrown into prison. They were beaten with rods, miraculously released uh, through an earthquake. They travel to another Greek city, Thessalonica, and there they go to the Jewish synagogue. And there in the Jewish synagogue, they tell those people from the scripture about the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. And it says that many of the members of the Jewish synagogue believed in, in Jesus, and then a few of the Gentiles did as well. And Paul and Silas and Timothy probably spent the next three months uh, with them, encouraging them, building them up in the faith, uh, teaching them things from the scripture. Well, eventually some of the other members of the Jewish synagogue became jealous of Paul, and they hired bad actors to stir up the entire city against these three missionaries. So they had to flee, and they went to a neighboring town known as Berea, and we read about this in Acts chapter 17 as well. They go back to the Jewish synagogue there in Berea, and the same thing happens. People believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as the Messiah, but those same bad actors who had stirred up hostility towards the missionaries in Thessalonica travel to Berea and do the same thing. And so, this, so Paul has to escape to Athens. So the, you have these new Christians in Thessalonica. They've only been Christians for a few months. Paul and Timothy and Silas weren't able to stay with them as long as they would have normally liked to. And so Paul is concerned about their faith. And so he sends Timothy back to just get a report, to see how things are going. And Timothy brings back a good report. The Thessalonians are doing great. And so this is a letter that Paul wrote in response to that good report. Verse 2, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So even though the Thessalonians have only been followers of Jesus for a very short time, they're the total package so far. They have faith in Christ and they have the work in Christ. Now imagine if you're them. 
these three missionaries, professional Christians, roll into your town. They teach you from the scriptures how Jesus is the savior of the world. God, the creator, has sent him as a sacrifice for our sins. They believe it. It would make sense that they would say, well, hey, how can we support you missionaries as you go and do the work of God? But the Thessalonians take it one step farther. They join in the work themselves. They have faith, but they're also doing the work. They're the ones now spreading this good news about Jesus. And it says that their labor, their work, was prompted by love. They weren't just doing it out of obligation. They weren't doing it because of pressure. They were doing it out of genuine love. In 1972, the famous country music star and actor Chris Christopherson was on tour. And one of his fellow artists on that tour said, when we get back to Nashville, why don't you come to church with me? And, and, and he shocked himself and he shocked her when he accepted that invitation. So one night they all go to church together and, and Chris Christopherson at the end of a, a simple gospel presentation comes forward and prays with the pastor and gives his life to Christ. And he tells a story that he immediately goes back to his house and he writes a, a song from beginning to end. And that song was called Why Me, Lord, and it became his best-selling song, and he still ends all of his concerts with that song. And in that song, if you go and, and read it and listen to it, it's just a, a simple response. He was overwhelmed with God's love for him. He considered himself a sinner far from God, and that God would love him, that God would send his own son to die so that Chris Christopherson could receive the forgiveness of sins. He was overwhelmed by that. And in the song, he says, why me, God? Why would you do this for me? And I want to help other people know what I now know. And if you can remember back to when you first believed in Christ, you may have had that same response. If you've ever had a revival of your faith, God, what grace you have poured out on me. But the longer we become Christians, uh, the, the, the longer we are just around one another, this, this weird thing happens to us Jesus followers. Uh, suddenly we stop hanging out with everyone else and, and we're only friends with other Christians. We stop going out to lunch with our coworkers and we opt to just be by ourselves. And, and this interesting phenomenon among Jesus followers that our circle of friends, the people we love, gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. But Paul's going to tell these Thessalonians in chapter 3 that their love should abound more and more and more and more. You know, I think many of us are on a dangerous trajectory. Instead of following the example of Christ, loving our neighbor as ourself, loving people enough to, to share this good news with them, we're actually on our way to loving less and less people. And so I've laid down a challenge for myself, and, and, and I encourage you to pick it up if it seems right to you. The day that I die, whenever that is, and hopefully it's a long time from now, I want that to be the peak of the amount of people I love in Jesus' name. I want that to be the moment where people could say about me, he was the most loving at that moment as he ever was in his whole life instead of the trajectory that I may be on to actually love less people at that moment than I have in my whole life. And so I want to encourage you, if, if your circle of friends, if your circle of people that you care about, if the circle of people that you show kindness to in Christ's name is actually getting smaller, let's change that. Let's make sure our labor and our sacrifice and our work for Christ is prompted by our love for him and our love 
for people. And he also says, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, which is going to be a running theme through this letter. Verse 4, for we know, brothers and sisters, love by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And you know how we lived among you for your sake. He says to the Thessalonians, brothers and sisters, which we don't want to rush over, we are loved by God, invited into the family of God. And he says, you were chosen by God. And this was such an important uh, theme uh, in describing our salvation for the Apostle Paul, probably because of of how he believed in Christ. Remember, before he was persecuted, he was a persecutor. Before he was chased from town to town to town, as he was chased out of Thessalonica, he was the one doing the chasing. And in Acts chapter 9, he's chasing other Christians uh, to Damascus to go there to arrest them, to throw them in prison. And on that Damascus road, the resurrected Christ appears to him, blinding him by his glory. And later on that day, Christ himself will say about Paul, this man I have chosen as my instrument to share my good news, my gospel to the whole world, to Gentiles, to kings, and to the Jewish people. Paul knew that he was chosen. And what he's saying about the Thessalonians is uh, you were chosen too. When we came to you, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, when we came to you, it was your Damascus Road moment. And here's the proof, verse 5, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Paul says when our faith, uh, when, when we came to you, when our message came to you, it wasn't a TED Talk. It was the power of Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and it resulted in changed life, in conviction of sin. One summer, I spent interning with an evangelistic ministry, and essentially our job description that summer was to try to talk about Christ and what Christ had done in our lives with as many people as possible. And as it got to the end of the summer and I started thinking about heading back home, I had this pit in my stomach, a sense of guilt, Because I didn't understand how I could be so bold with these strangers that I never met before and would never see again. And yet so cowardly when it came to talking about faith with people that I actually loved and cared about. And so I made a vow at the end of the summer. When I get back, when I'm with the people that I love and the people that I know, I'm not going to be afraid to talk about my faith and and their faith. And so uh, I I get back home. I'm I'm driving across town with one of my friends. He's driving. I'm in the passenger uh, side seat. And we're we're just catching up. And, uh, And I remember that vow. And so I say, hey, you know, you, you know, I spent this summer doing this internship, and uh, we've never talked about faith. We've been friends for a long time. So, you know, what's your story? What's your deal? What do you believe about God and stuff? And, and so he shared a little bit, long, long story short. He believed in God and essentially was trying to be a good enough person that God would accept him into heaven one day. And I was taught to ask this pretty confrontational question. If what you were believing weren't true, would you want to know? And so I asked him that. And he said, well, sure, yeah, I'd love to know. And so I just share with them a few simple scriptures. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for, the, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We're accepted by God into eternal life, not because we are able to measure up, but because of what Christ has done for us. John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father in heaven except through me. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So I asked him a few follow-up questions after sharing those simple scriptures. 
just to make sure he understood what I was saying and the message was clear. Last question I asked him, still driving across town, uh, would you right now want to confess Jesus as Lord? And he said, yeah. I could not have been more shocked because we're not at church. We're driving in a car. I'm not a professional. I'm an intern. But when the message of Christ is proclaimed, it's proclaimed with the power of Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it results in conviction to believe. Verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So now we can see what's happened to the Thessalonians since the Apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy have left. The persecution that, that was aimed at those three missionaries has now been aimed at the new Thessalonian Christians. And he says, even though this is happening and you're suffering, you have the joy of the Spirit of God living in you. And notice he says that they're imitating Christ. Now remember, Jesus was not the only teacher in first century Israel. In fact, there were lots of different rabbis, and those rabbis had disciples. And every rabbi had what would later on be called a yoke. It was a set of core teaching, the way that that rabbi saw God and the way that they lived their lives. And so if you wanted to be a disciple then you would look at all of the rabbis out there and you would say, you know, I agree with this one. I like the way that they talk about God. I, I like the way uh, that they view life. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to learn from them. And the point of being a disciple was to hear the teaching of your teacher and then do it and to watch the way your teacher lived and then do that. That's why Jesus is so frustrated with the Pharisees because the Pharisees often were saying the right thing, but their lives didn't match up. And so they were not good teachers for Israel. So the disciples of Jesus, they, they're listening to the words of Jesus and they're doing them. And then they're watching what Jesus does and they're practicing that. That's why Jesus sends out the 12 and then later on the 72 disciples because they've watched him heal. They've watched him cast out demons. They have watched him teach. They have listened to that teaching and now he sends them out to go and do it themselves. And Paul is commending the discipleship of the Thessalonians. This is what they are doing. They are imitators of Christ. We don't want to be confused this morning. That is what spiritual maturity is. Spiritual maturity isn't an increase in knowledge and length of time being a Christian. Spiritual maturity is that I am growing a little bit every day to be more Christ-like to listen to the teaching of Christ and to do it and to watch the life of Christ and to imitate him. But notice, it says that they weren't just imitating Christ, but also the missionaries. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. I'm no golfer, but I do know that there's a trick when you have a long putt and the cup is far away from you. Instead of aiming at the cup, you pick a halfway point in between you and the ball and the hole, and you aim at that halfway mark as a way of aiming at the cup. And this is essentially how God has set up the expansion of his kingdom. He, Jesus, was not in person with the Thessalonians, but he was present with them through the Spirit of God living inside of them and also through these three ambassadors, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Christ has given us people to imitate as a way of imitating him. 
So the question is, who are you imitating? Because you are imitating somebody's faith. Even if that person has no faith, even if that person is apathetic towards faith, you are imitating someone. So who is it? Can I make a few recommendations to you? Who do you know who listens and obeys Christ the most? Not who knows the most, but who listens and obeys the most. Who do you want to pray like? Who talks about Christ more than Christianity? I know a lot of spiritual, spiritual leaders who do a lot of talking about church, church activities, church business, church things, this church, that church, the church around the world. Who do you know that talks about Christ, not Christ, it's Christianity? And who do you know who would be the most excited to see Jesus face to face? When that angelic trumpet sounds one day and Christ returns to earth to set up his forever kingdom, who do you know who's going to be the most excited? Imitate that person. As a way of imitating Christ. Verse 7. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. This is why Christianity spread so fast in the beginning. Because the Thessalonians are not only following someone, they have become a model to other people. Remember, when Jesus commissions the disciples in Matthew chapter 28, he says, I want you to go and make more disciples. And, and here's how you do it. You baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Right. Now, here's the, the crazy thing. The disciples still had so much to learn. In fact, some of them were doubting even at the moment that Christ is commissioning them. So you may think to yourself, well, I, I don't mind imitating someone else's faith. That makes sense about where I am spiritually. But I don't feel qualified that someone would imitate me. But even we'll see through the rest of this letter, the Thessalonians had so much more to learn. Whatever you are learning, however you are learning to obey Christ, make sure that you're able to pass that on to someone else. They became a model for the people in their region and through the whole world. And it says that the Lord's message rang out from them. As I mentioned, there's a, a lot of noise in the world. But what is the loudest sound coming out of you? When I was in high school, I was in the, the band and, and during concert season, Christmas and in the spring, I was in the percussion uh, section and we were assigned different instruments. And so one song I might play the bass drum, another song I might play the snare drum. And my favorite instrument to be assigned was, was, were, were the chimes. Uh, so imagine a big pipe organ, the pipes of the pipe organ, and you, and you shrink it down to uh, uh, three feet, wide, six feet tall, and then they give you a, a hammer. And so whenever you had a note to play, you would hit that chime with that hammer. And here's why I loved playing the chimes, because you don't want a lot of chimes in the song. It overpowers the song. So there wasn't that much music to learn. But also, when you hit one of those chimes with the hammer, it was louder than all of the other instruments put together. There may be 200 other instruments in the band, but when I played that chime, I was the shining star. And the scripture says that the message rang out from the Thessalonians. 
And we've got a lot of different parts in our lives. You got the work part of you, you got the family part of you, you got the financial part of you, you got the, the fun part of you, you got the relaxing part of you. But what is the loudest part of you? Your faith in Christ should be ringing out over all of the other noise coming out of you. Verse 9, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned from God, to God from idols to serve the living and true God. It says that the, the missionaries, they don't need to prop up the faith of the Thessalonians with words. We, we don't have anything that we need to say about you because everybody knows. They know what kind of reception you gave us, and here's the reputation they have because they tell of how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The, the idols that the Thessalonians were worshiping, even though Paul doesn't mention my, it by name here, are probably some combination of the gods and goddesses of Olympus. And I, I don't know anyone who is actively by name worshiping the, the Greek gods, but listen to some of these things that these Greek gods and goddesses stood for. Uh, Athena stood for wisdom. Apollo stood for prediction and philosophy. Uh, Hermes was uh, the, the messenger. Uh, he brought news. Aphrodite, beauty and romance. Ares, war and conflict. Hades, death and wealth. I don't know anybody who's worshiping these gods and goddesses by name, but I definitely know some people, and one of those people is in the mirror every morning who are orienting their lives around those ideas. I mean, you think about uh, Hermes, the, the messenger god, the, the god of news. We don't, we don't think about Hermes by name, but how many times already have you picked up your phone today and checked the news, whether they're real news or social news? Yesterday, what's the furthest distance you were away from your phone? 10 feet, 20 feet, maybe? Beauty, romance, conflict. We are orienting our lives around these things, but the Thessalonians' reputation was they turned away from that to the living and true God. Living and true God because these are just idols. They're false gods. They're not worthy of our lives. The living and true God, that word turn is also used in the scripture described as repentance. There's a turning. I reject this thing that I've been giving my life to and I don't ever wanna go back. I'm heading in the direction of the one true God. Verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. What do we do after we turn away from idols and false religion and turn to the one true God? We wait for Jesus to return to set up his coming kingdom. And that is the primary theme of 1 Thessalonians. Christ is returning. It's easy to get caught up in the, well, when is that going to happen? Lots of people would love for that to be a straight line. This is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. But as I read the scripture, it feels less like a straight line and more of a zigzag and back and two steps forward. And Because God is not so much concerned in us knowing when Christ is going to return, but the who is returning and the what is going to happen when he does return. And here Paul tells the Thessalonians that when Christ comes, 
He's coming with wrath. Now, that's not a word we use very often. And when we think of wrath, I think a lot of us equate it with rage. It's just so angry. I'm a spewing volcano, and just anger is just, is just unleashed with no purpose. But the biblical idea of the wrath of God is not rage. It's, it's not out of control. The wrath of God is the justice of God expressed. So when you see injustice in this world and you recognize other people who don't notice it, for all of the harm that's being done to, to you or to others, people may not see that, but make no mistake, God does, Christ does. And when he returns, he is returning with justice. And the two-tiered hope for the Thessalonians, because remember, they are experiencing injustice. The persecution aimed at the three missionaries has now been aimed at them. They are suffering. And so Paul encourages them with, God notices that. And Christ is returning, and Christ is going to make sure that there is justice done. That's tier one, but tier two is, and also the good news, we get to be rescued. We get to be welcomed in to the family of God. We are not enemies of God. We are sons and daughters. Why? Because of Christ. Christ Jesus the Lord, the one we are imitating. Christ Jesus the Lord, the one we are helping others imitate. Christ Jesus the Lord who is returning. Let's make sure that our faith in him is the thing that rings out the loudest this week. God, we thank you. We thank you that you rescue us. We thank you that you have saved us. We thank you that you have sent ambassadors into our lives so that we might know this good news. And we pray you would help us. Would you help us to imitate Christ? Would you help us to become a model for other people? And Jesus, we wait for your return. We ask these prayers in your name. Amen.